Well, good morning, everyone. Such a great uh, privilege and a great moment uh, to be here with you. Uh, we think about you often. We pray for you at Asbury. Uh, we support you at Asbury, and just such a great honor to be here. And I'm so grateful, you know, for the invitation of Dr. Tennant and for my friend, uh, Vice President Donna Covington, uh, for the opportunity to be with you uh, this uh, week. This is an important moment for us, really. And this is an important week for us when we consider all uh, that the president is talking to us about right now and these important conversations about a theology of the body and a gracious and truth-filled understanding of a biblical sexual ethic. This is an important moment. Uh, I uh, listened to the, uh, to the president's convocation uh, address uh, wedged into a booth at a Panera restaurant in Southeast Florida. And, and when I was listening to it, it, it sounded to me almost, if you haven't had a chance to hear it, I would commend it to you. But I was listening to it, it sounded almost like a football coach's halftime you know, challenge to the team. And I was listening to this and I was making this response. I didn't realize I had earbuds in and I'm making all of this noise until this couple that was on the other side of the booth peeked up over the booth and looked at me. And I think they thought I was having a seizure of some sort, but anyhow, uh, it, was, it was just such a great talk. And uh, it's a great honor for me to be here really to add my voice to these uh, important conversations. And I wanna say that I come before you not really as an expert really in some of the conversations we're talking about in these days, but really as a practitioner uh, who has had a lot of experience and a lot of opportunity to uh, engage unchurched folks in creating atmospheres where unchurched pre-Christian people can hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, uh, for our time together, uh, I chose a passage of Scripture that comes to us from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And I chose this passage, uh, it's really just a phrase, really just an observation that is sort of woven in uh, to the front end of Paul's grand opus, uh, which is sometimes uh, known to us as his epistle to the Romans. And it's already been read for us. I want to read it to you just one more time, really just a portion of the passage we read just a moment ago. It's Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, this in particular. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not real realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Would you pray with me? You know, Lord, again, would you use this time and would you use this space as instructive moments for us? That God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would be more than just applicational truth for our own lives, but Lord God, would you give us a vision? Would you give to us a vision for the people that we minister to currently in our lives and the people that we will minister to in our lives in the future. For we pray together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. This is a great uh, verse of scripture. And many of us know or are coming to know that Paul's epistle to the Romans is really his, his signature work, right? I mean, towering above all the other epistles in scale, uh, and in scope, offering to us all his understanding, if you will, of the Christian experience. And what I want to call out to you uh, that should stand as uh, an example, I believe, for all of us here, 
is the beautiful and instructive way that Paul writes not only as a seasoned scholar, but as a satisfied student. Not only as a passionate conveyor of the Christian message, but as a certified customer, uh, one who himself has uh, been a recipient of the grace, to quote John Wesley, of which he was a receiver. It's a reminder to us, I think, really, of all the good and great work that God calls us to, and to embrace the tension that lies in the balance of these two important truths, which are serious scholarship and warm-hearted experience with the truths that we espouse. And what I want to tell you, what I want to talk about is the idea that, uh, honestly, this embedded in this verse, I'm intrigued by a little comment that Paul makes. And I'm intrigued that Paul makes this comment so early in the epistle. And like we're talking about the book of Romans this morning, here it is, 16 chapters, as long as writing, as most elaborate, as most systematic. And then wedged into the very front end of this chapter, he drops some ministerial goal that I want us to focus on for just a few moments this morning. Now, if you know anything about the book of Romans, right, he comes out of the gate in chapter one pretty hard. Uh, in fact, he takes no prisoners. No one really, I think, can read Romans chapter 1 and not have Isaiah's words leak from our own pores. Where Isaiah writes this, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's really hard to read uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 and not just have that sense of feeling. I, I want to confess to you, I can still remember... Uh, the first time as a very young, very immature follower of Jesus that I read Romans 1. And to be brutally honest and a little indelicate, it scared the crap out of me. I don't even know if you can say crap in Estes Chapel. I just said it twice, but anyhow. But in my emotional immaturity and my biblical literacy, I found myself cherry-picking the sins that weren't a part of my own DNA. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Every one of us, we're, we're tempted to do that. And we can all read the Bible all the time and sort of impose another uh, human's life in that when we should read the Scriptures, I say all the time, and let the Scriptures read us, right? And so there's a great temptation a lot of times, but I can remember doing that. And uh, I, I remember that it took some years uh, but eventually, I grew to read Romans 1 in a more inclusive way and to hear within the powerful words and the challenging words this general call from the Apostle Paul where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've all heard it before. The word all actually means all. It means all. And we all come to a place of, uh, in our lives where we understand that we carry brokenness, we have the sin DNA within us, and we can't clean ourselves up. We need some help, right? I remember a long time ago hearing a story I love to tell when I'm at home about a mother who had a young son who was just kind of rambunctious and always in trouble, and really most young sons are rambunctious and always in trouble. And uh, there comes this moment where he had gone to this house nearby, he'd crawled up on the roof of the house, and his, something his mother had asked him not to do, and he had, uh, in a moment sort of a blunder, he fell off the roof, and he fell into a vat of roofing tar. 
And he went home and, and, and he knew he was in trouble, walked all the way home. And when his mom saw him, she walked him out to the side of the house. She propped him up against the wall. She took a long look at him. And this is what she said to her son. She said, I want you to know something. It would be easier for me to have another one than to clean you up. And I think a lot of times um, what is required for us, especially as we think about ministering in this day and age, is to recognize that all of us are like that little boy. All of us uh, come in need of the grace that Christ alone supplies to his children. And this is really why I'm here and really what I want to talk about. But this is chapter one. And then we get to chapter two. And when we get to chapter two, I want you to notice that there's a little space there. There's a little ministry opportunity buried in verse four of Romans chapter two that I want to draw your attention to. And Paul starts talking about the kindness of Christ. Isn't that great? He starts talking about the kindness of Christ, and he says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Do you see it? It's in there. And so he starts talking about that God's kindness is the kindness that moves us to repentance. It's an agent of change that moves people towards the presence of God in our lives. I remember years ago reading from pastor and author uh, Steve Shogren, where I think he rightfully observes this truth, and this is what he says. He said, kindness, I've come to believe, is this, has this incredible power to break down spiritual strongholds and to tee up human hearts to receive the gospel, that which they cannot find anywhere else. Let me read it again. He says, kindness, he said, I've come to experience and understand, brings with it incredible power to break down spiritual strongholds and to tee up human hearts to receive in the gospel what they simply cannot find anywhere else. I want to take just a moment with you in the time that I have remaining, and I want to push Paul's insight into two important spaces, which I've come to believe are absolutely essential if we're ever going to have a ministry that's going to reach unchurched people with the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your ministry hat on for a moment. Let's all be practitioners, and let's all consider together from uh, that kind of a biblical her hermeneutic, what it means for us to become agents of kindness in the world to bring people to Jesus. And the two spaces I want to talk about, I pose them to you as questions. Here's the first question, all right? How do we build a culture of kindness in the places we serve for the sake of the gospel? How do we build a culture of kindness in the places we serve for the sake of the gospel? Here's what I think about when I, when I bring this up. Paul wasn't just reminiscing when he wrote this. What Paul was doing was reminding Christ's followers in Rome, and here's what I want to say to you. Your time at Asbury, and we all know this, we should know this, is not your final destination, right? It's a pit stop. It's a place for you to come to refuel, to be trained up, to have your mind stretched with the things of God. I shared last night uh, in the Facebook Live uh, opportunity with President Tennant, that I have a ministry colleague, a dear friend of mine, Pastor Trevor Johnston. He and his wife, Leah, are graduates of this school. And Trevor, I love the way he describes his time at seminary. He says, 
seminary, he said, Asbury was, is a place God calls you to, to dig a well others will drink from. And that's a great truth. And so when you, you know, this is what I want to tell you. God is going to call you out from here. And when he calls you out from here, I thought I would remind you what out from here doesn't look like or what it looks like. It doesn't look like here. It just doesn't look like here. Uh, when we left uh, Asbury the second time we were here, our girls were, were, were just babies, really. And when we left here uh, in 1996 and we moved to Southeast Florida, Palm Beach County, I want to tell you a bit, little bit about the, the county we moved into. Uh, Palm Beach County is a million four hundred thousand people, give or take. Uh, only one in eleven can identify a church home, and this number represents our Jewish friends, uh, of whom we'd want to, to say as well, need the gospel. Most are typically northeastern, uh, used to be churched or used to be Catholic. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about uh, Southeast Florida, outside of Dade County. When it comes to Florida, the further south you drive, the further north you go. And I'll let you think about that for a moment. It's literally filled with people far from God. And because I'm a Wesleyan and I think like a Wesleyan, here's what I've come to understand. People are searching for God. They are. They're just not any longer searching for the church. And this is what ought to move us. And because I'm a Wesleyan and I believe that the image of God is implanted into the DNA of every human soul, this is something that ought to challenge us, really. But ever increasingly so, the church seems out of date, woefully out of touch, and the dissonance is loud, and this is the kind of thing that should bother us. And then when we think about the societal issues we're dealing right now, like the global pandemic, human sexuality, racial tensions, economic fragility, political conflict, impropriety of and corruption of leaders in the church and outside the church, here's what I'd tell you. This is an awesome moment for us to be alive. This is a moment for us to be in ministry. But the formational question for all of us in this space is simply this. How do you and I reach people in their settings the currently unreached people for whom Christ died. How do we build a bridge from the church to the world into the communities in which we minister in a way that draws people to consider for the first time or yet again the treasure that we have in earthen jars? How do we do it? This is an important conversation. I remember in the early days of Community of Hope Bethel, remember this, we were collecting all kinds of information about the community in which God had sent us to minister. And I came down one time, we were living in a rental home, and I came down the stairs and I said, you know, I've come to this place, Beth, where I've come to realize there are really, largely speaking, two kinds of churches. There are museums for saints, and there are hospitals for sinners. And uh, most of us have been to a museum before, Right? If you haven't, I can tell you what it's like. They're relatively quiet. People observe things. They occasionally nod their heads as though they understand. They make a few comments to one another, follow the pamphlet through the experience, exit the door in the back, and go get lunch. That's a museum. But a hospital for sinners is different, and a hospital is different. Hospitals are full contact. They're messy. It's life or death there. People don't want an experience. They want help. They need answers. They enter the place for specific reasons, hoping to leave better than when they walked out of there. 
And when you leave this place, you are going to have to choose which ministry you want to engage the world with. And I can tell you which one is working and which one doesn't work any longer. And this is what we need to have a conversation about. And in a world where in ever increasing measure looks can be deceiving, people are driving by the church every day and they don't see a hospital, they see a museum. And a lot of times that's what's embedded into that is they have this understanding, this sense, this feeling, this experience as though the people inside the museum don't understand them, don't love them, and don't care for them. I was on a flight recently, and uh, we, with Beth, and Beth and I sat down in our seats, and, and uh, when the plane took off, or right before the plane took off, and you know, there's always that awkward time, and the stewardesses are coming down, and they're putting luggage up, and they're closing uh, the overhead compartments and all that, I, I heard this noise, and I looked over, and this woman had this tiny little dog that she was had carried on the plane. And you, you didn't see it, but all of a sudden I heard it. And she had this little dog, and, and I didn't think anything of it. I was reading my Kindle, and a few moments later, this, this stewardess walks by, and she sees the little, little dog. And the little dog is there, and on, on the dog is a sweater, and, and the sweater simply says, Joy of this tiny little dog. And so the waitress, or excuse me, the stewardess comes by and she sees the, the dog and she goes, oh, what a cute little dog. And she reaches over to touch the dog and the dog almost ate her arm off. <laughs> it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And this dog just like went into this other personality and just like, man, it was like this thing. And I looked at the young woman who was across the aisle from me sitting next to the woman with the dog and she looked at me like, oh my God, get me out of here. And uh, when the woman wasn't looking, I, I took a picture of the dog. I want to show you the picture of the dog. There's the dog. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I don't know what the Prince of Darkness looks like, but that's his brother. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I, I kind of think this. Sometimes this is what the world thinks of the church. I mean, I'm going to extend my hand. I'm going to risk a little bit, but I'm going to get bit when I do. And I want to tell you this morning that I, I think the critical mistake that we can make would be a mistake that in assuming that, that because we have a particular stance or we have a particular idea about truth, that the dissonance really is around the truth. It's not so much oftentimes around the truth. It's the way we wear the truth, everyone. And God is calling us to something different. Um, this is the atmospheric interference I'm talking about, right? And I have learned over the years that um, really what God is calling us to is more of a model that I refer to as a come and see model. I'm taken by this idea. Maybe you would pin it down. You would be I'm going to inflict upon you what I'm inflicted with. Um, we talk a lot about people becoming Christians, and it's becoming more and more a derisive term in our culture. What I find is interesting is that in the Bible I read, the word Christian is only used three times, never by Jesus, 
But what in fact Jesus does over and over and over and over again is invite people to follow him. And the word mathetes, which is disciple, one idea of being a disciple, of course, and you'll learn it, is being a close follower. And I have to tell you, I'm taken with that uh, imagery because um, it communicates the idea that people can take a step toward Jesus. And a lot of times, if you're like me, you've taken certain steps and you reach certain places and God invites you into conversations and your character begins to change and your heart begins to grow and you become formed more and more into the image of God's Son. This is the model. This is the approach. And and I want to be clear, when you leave here, you're going to have to decide it. Um, So the first question is that. You know, how, how do we build an atmosphere of kindness that leads people to consider the gospel of Jesus. Here's, here's of course, uh, the other important question, which is, have you fully embraced God's kindness revealed in Christ to you? One of the things I love about Paul is that Paul, whenever I read Paul, I'm reminded that Paul was writing oftentimes about himself. And laced over and over again in the New Testament are these wonderful opportunities where you see that Paul is is not only speaking truth, he's not only teaching us wonderful things that we need to know, but always sort of reflected in what he's saying, of course, is his remembrance of his own experience. That before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And when he's talking about the grace of Jesus, he he is remembering in such a wonderful moment that, that God's grace, that God's kindness has been reflected to him And so we minister out of that understanding. You wrote with such deep gratitude. I remember learning a long time ago that we can't give away what we don't possess ourselves. Neither can we return to a place we've never been. And Paul never lost sight of his own humanity. It was laced all over the New Testament. In fact, I think about it in this way. In Ephesians, he refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus. There's almost a kind of an egotistic, if I say it, quality about that. But then we get back to 1 Timothy, and he calls himself the chief of all sinners. Something had changed and continued to change in his heart. And it's got to happen in the life of every Christ follower. And I got to just tell you all, when it comes to ministry, it's got to happen over and over and over again in our souls. I remember one time, i close with this, I was thinking and reflecting about these things. I'd gone off to a conference, and I would tell you sometimes, you got to be careful when you go off to conferences, and this is when we could go off to conferences, right? And, and I remember going off to a conference, and, and I was learning things, but at the same time, I was often a little discouraged because it represented so, there were so many things represented at the conference where my, my church was not sort of hitting the standard of what everybody was aiming at. And I left a conference one day a little early, and I was sitting around a pool and I was reading a book, I would commend to you Brennan Manning's book, Ragamuffin Gospel. And I was reading the book and just thinking about my own life and thinking about my own experience. Brennan Manning, Manning, of course, a recovering alcoholic, tells this story where he's 
ministering to a group of recovering alcoholics and there was a man in the, in, in the circle, they were going around sharing their life stories and the man would never share and he was the hardest one in the circle and, uh, in terms of his faith. He said he had no faith, he couldn't believe in God, he would never believe in God and it came this powerful moment where he's to share his story and every time he would share his story, he wouldn't, he wouldn't ever look at the people in the circle. He always looked down. And he was sharing his story one afternoon, and he was looking down, and, and he shared the story that, you know, he was working on recovery from alcoholism, and he said he reflected on the story the time that, uh, that he was driving to work, and he said he was going to stop by his favorite bar on the way to work. He would only be there a few moments, get back in his car, go to work. No one would ever know. And he lived in a northern part of our country, and he, it, was, it was below, you know, uh, below the freezing line in terms of temperature. And he stopped for a moment, and the moment turned to several moments, and in fact, he was in the bar eight hours. And when he came to leave the bar and got in the car, it was then that he remembered that he had his four-year-old daughter in the car. And it didn't kill her, but it froze her ears off. And he was telling the story, Brendan Manning began to tell him, he said, look up. And he wouldn't do it, and finally Brendan Manning was just yelling at him, and he said, I want you to look up when you tell that story. And when he looked up, he looked in the eyes of everybody in the circle and in the eyes of Brendan Manning, and here's what he saw, everyone. He saw compassion. He saw forgiveness. He saw grace in the midst of his shame and his brokenness. And it was in that moment his heart broke. And for the first time ever, he believed in God. I mean, this is us, right? And if we're ever going to embrace a world and show them the kindness and the compassion of Jesus, we have to be recipients of that kindness and compassion ourselves. Kindness and compassion that's reflected in a broken body and shed blood. The Bible tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he turned to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. And the Bible says that after supper, he he took a cup, and after he had given thanks to the Father, he turned to the disciples and he said, this cup represents my blood which is shed for you. And then he said this amazing thing. He said, and in this moment, he said, I'm establishing a new covenant. And neither will there ever be a need any longer for all these lists of sacrifice, but Jesus was reordering the sacrificial system, and he said, I will be the one full final sacrifice for all the sins of the world. This is the God of mercy and compassion we worship, who wants to express his mercy and compassion through you to a broken world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty acts of creation. 
that are on display for all of the world to see. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the mighty acts of redemption that you have accomplished for us on the cross, making it possible for us to be renewed in your image. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that it is your good pleasure to bless these elements, that they may become for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we might be broken and poured out in the world. Use this space, O oh God, to move us towards you. For we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.